0: Uh, Lord, thank you so much for this new year, a year of change, but good change, God, a year of opportunity. Um, Lord, we just want to meet with you today. God, we want to put put away uh, any anything that's distracting us. Lord, we're just going to get into your word today, and so I pray that you would speak to us directly from your word. May the words in the Bible speak right to our hearts, because they come from you. So I pray pray for that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was a kid, like every normal kid, I watched some TV. I watched some TV. And I'm a 90s kid. And i got to say, the 90s was a great era for television. Can anybody agree with that? I feel like we're still watching shows from the 90s today. Because they're so good. But i got to say, one of the best parts of watching TV in that era were the commercials they had commercials that stick with you even to this day today like i could i could i could sing a bunch of jingles and if you grew up in that time you would know what i was talking about right like if i said the best part of waking up is exactly exactly i have i have like 10 examples of that but uh, no, I'm going to read skip of... But I have ten examples, but I thought about one this week as I was prepping this message and prepping this series. Um, like other people who were preteens and teenagers in the 90s, I needed a lot of deodorant. <laughs> and there was one commercial that epitomized my need for deodorant, and it was the Sure commercial. Anybody remember Sure deodorant? You'd have like... You'd have like uh, somebody playing a trumpet with their arms out here, and the line was sure, 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 sure. And then they get to the last guy, and it's unsure, unsure, unsure. <laughs> that was genius. That was genius advertising. I felt that way one time, like on a youth retreat when I was 14. I forgot to bring my deodorant, and I was like this the whole time. And uh, you know, it was just that idea of being sure or being unsure and um regardless of you know regardless of who you are or whether you're wearing deodorant today (laughs) um you probably know the feeling of being unsure of feeling unsure of not maybe it's an environment thing like i'm not sure about being in in church i'm not sure about god Today we're going to start a new series in 2024, and we're going to look at the letters of John in the New Testament. So we're actually going to take the first quarter of this year, we're going to walk through the books of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Second and Third John are super short, so I'm just going to tag them on to 1 John. Um, but we're going to walk through the letters of John in the New Testament together. And the, the point of, the, of these letters, really, is to find assurance is to find assurance in what you believe. Also, I love teaching through books of the Bible because it lets God set the agenda for what we learn. You know? Yes, we can answer questions, but what does God's word actually say and what does it mean? And I love the book of 1 John because it really is all about finding assurance in Christ. Am I really in with Christ? Am I really sure of what I believe? And that's the question that John answers. You know, you ever wonder, like, is my faith legit? Like, do I have legit faith? Or am I missing something? Or maybe you're in a spot where you're kind of, like, exploring what a relationship with God looks like. And that's a great spot to be, too. But you're not quite sure yet. And that's why 1 John is in the Bible. John states the purpose of his book clearly in 1 John 5, 13. And this is the theme verse for the entire book. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. No wondering. John writes these things to us, not just for the church back then, but for today, so that we can know that we're in Christ beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so that's what we're diving into this year, we're going to look at this place. Where are we at with Christ? And this is John's heart for his readers. John writes so that we can fully believe. We can be sure about what we believe. And so that we can experience new life and experience eternal life, eternal life. And so John writes this book to a group of people who are unsure, clearly. Otherwise, why would John write it? So if you think being unsure of your faith is just a problem of today, it's not. Even the first ones to hear it were unsure. Even the disciples themselves were unsure. It's just being human. And even if we say, yes, I believe in Christ, I bet there's some days where you feel like that sure commercial. I just, I couldn't help but think of worship, right? Some days you might, some Sundays you might come into worship and you might be sure Right? Raise your hands. Be fully like immersed in your in your relationship and your love of God. And there are other days you might show up and you might feel a little unsure. You might just be here. You might feel distracted. You might feel disconnected from God. And what I love about John's writings in particular is John is a pastor. Like if you read his books, he is a pastor. He has this heart that is compassionate. He's speaking to, to people like children that he loves. And so I'm really excited to get into this series. And so today we're going to cover, basically there's a four-verse introduction to the book of 1 John. It's just four verses, and that's all we're going to focus on today. We're going to look at how John sets this letter up. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through four. Or we're going to read it on the screen here um, together. Well, I'll read it. You don't have to read it out loud, so I'll read it. But you can follow along. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the word of the Lord. So we often define ourselves by what we do. I'm, I'm a sports fan. Uh, and I watched this interview with LeBron James a while ago, and LeBron James defined himself as the greatest basketball player of all time. I grew up in the '90s. I disagree. <laughs> Michael Jordan, man, you can't you can't top Michael Jordan. Yes. So, <laughs> Amen. Yes. Sorry, I watched those finals. Okay, I watched as a kid, but. He would define himself as a basketball player, no doubt. He would define himself as a basketball player. Warren Buffett, if you asked him to define himself, I mean, he'd probably say he's a super rich guy. No, he's, he's a businessman and investor is probably what he would say. We, we like to be known by what we do. And for John, the Apostle John, over anything else, what he was known by or what he wanted to be known as was a witness. John was a witness. More than anything else, he was a witness. John's primary calling was to bear witness to the life he had seen and experienced in Christ. That's it. That's John. He is a witness to Christ. John knew Jesus personally. All right, if, you, if you back up to the Gospels, you see that John and Jesus, he wasn't just a disciple, but he was in the inner circle with Jesus. That inner circle was Peter, James, and John. And so John really was close to Jesus. In fact, in his writing, he describes himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. Like, they had a, they had a close relationship. And when he, opens, um, when he opens the Gospel of John, he counts himself among those who have seen the glory of God. I'm going to turn this off, maybe. All right, there we go. Uh, (laughs) Yes, and uh, he's seen the glory of God. And here in this letter, he establishes himself again as a witness. Same in the Gospel of John and same in 1 John. He establishes himself as a witness. He sets up his letter by saying, that which was from the beginning. Just like in the Gospel of John, He speaks to how Jesus is eternal like we will have eternal life He says that that Jesus is eternal. He's been with the father at creation He's been there since the beginning no beginning no end in the beginning he that which was from the beginning And then everything else is about him as a witness Which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes Which we have looked at and our hands have touched It's like I am a first-hand witness to the glory of God in Christ and so he bears witness that Jesus is the Son of God that's his claim Jesus is the Son of God and that is still a hefty claim in fact it's a claim that's been on trial ever since Jesus showed up is Jesus the Son of God or isn't he it's, it's been on trial since Jesus showed up. The whole planet, every generation, has wrestled with whether Christ is the Son of God or not. Is he, really, is he really the Messiah? Is he really who he says he is? And so, how do we decide if a claim like that is true? Well, if you look at a trial, you do need witnesses for a trial, don't you? You need someone who was there, who saw what happened whether that's an innocent bystander or someone involved you need to hear from somebody who is there you know juries try to listen to different witnesses and piece together what really happened they also have to decide who they trust and who they don't who's credible and who's not credible and it can get tricky sometimes when there's conflicting accounts and when there's conflicting accounts about who Jesus is, we ultimately have to decide who will we listen to? Who will we listen to? John says, I've seen him. I've, I've touched him. I've listened. Sorry, I need some water. I'm not getting emotional, I promise. Uh, I've, I've listened to him speak, I've seen the miracles. John heard Jesus' teaching and preaching. John saw Jesus rebuke the Pharisees. And John is the only disciple that we know was there at the cross. John's the only disciple that that was there. John's the disciple that Jesus looked at and and said, John, behold your mother. He gave, he entrusted John with his mother Mary uh, on his death. So as a witness, John is 100% certain of what he believes. He's 100%. Uh, okay, sorry about that. But he's, he's also not alone, you'll notice. He doesn't use the word I, he uses the word we. We have seen. He's referring to the disciples. The, the, it wasn't just John that followed Jesus around, there were others, and specifically, like 12 guys. Now, one of them was Judas, and he betrayed Jesus, and he hung himself. The rest of the 11 disciples fully believed and trusted in Jesus as the Son of God. They all proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God after he ascended to heaven. And outside of John, they all gave up their lives because they were proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God. Look, if you want a seal of the witness, think about what it costs that person. There is no greater cost than what the original witnesses of Christ gave. They gave it all. Even John, if you read the church historian Tertullian, he was um, sent by the Roman emperor Domitian to be boiled in oil. And miraculously, it's recorded that he survived. And they got frustrated, so they sent him off to this island. They probably got freaked out, I would assume. (laughs) Sent him off to this island called Patmos, where he writes... Uh, revelation and so this is where our faith comes from these are the men that handed down faith from generation to generation and of course there are women there too mary magdalene but john continues this we proclaim concerning the word of life the life appeared and we have seen and testified to it so appeared means past tense means that there's a period of time where Jesus was here and present and that time is very significant for us extremely significant for us the light of the world God appeared in Jesus and so John speaks to the appearance of Jesus as a historical event it actually happened Jesus the son of God appeared on the earth and John says in his gospel he dwelt among us Like, I I saw him. I lived with him. I walked with him. So John is a firsthand witness. But guess what? We weren't there, but we're witnesses, too. We are witnesses, too. We didn't see the historical event, yet we are still witnesses. God has called us to continue to pass on what the apostles passed on to us. Faith in Christ. Bear the light of Christ. And I love what John says to the Apostle Thomas. The Apostle Thomas, in a, in a famous moment with, with the resurrected Christ, doubted him, wanted to see, wanted to see the, uh, the, nails, er, the, the nail holes in his hands and his feet. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, "Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Like, you've seen me." Like, of course you believe. But blessed are those who put their faith in me even when they haven't seen. Even when they haven't seen. Jesus blesses the lives of those who choose to believe and live for the promise of that day. That one day we will see him face to face. Like, faith is a temporary thing. When we get to heaven, we won't need faith. But right now, faith is necessary. One day, faith will be made sight. And we won't need witnesses. But right now, we stand... On the witness of the church for generations also I want to say this it's not a strange thing to believe in something that you haven't seen it's actually not that strange I was thinking about it this week there's a country in the world called Azerbaijan I've never been there I have read one art Wikipedia article on it I've seen one picture of it I've seen it on a map You know what? I 100% believe there's a real place called Azerbaijan. Now, has anybody actually been there? That would be hilarious. You've been there? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wendy, way to show up and just ruin my illustration. Uh, Wow. Okay. Well, think of another country uh, that you haven't been to. Yeah. Yes. Affirmation. So. I was saying that I was trying to think of the most random country I could think of (laughs) and uh, so but there are countries in the world that we haven't been to that we haven't heard a lot about but guess what we believe that those countries exist a hundred percent because we read about it we hear about it so it's not like this is an unusual thing it's not an unusual thing to believe in something that you haven't seen you know we 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 believe in Wikipedia of all places like anybody can write anything and put it on Wikipedia and you know we believe it mostly so I want to share what the book of Hebrews says about faith this is Hebrews 11 verse 1 says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen faith is having assurance God doesn't want to leave us in a place where we're guessing doubting unsure God wants us to be sure God wants us to be sure, and he wants to, to us to be, have conviction about what we haven't seen. So God asks us to trust in his witnesses and his word, and also in his works that we see, that we experience, that we, we are actually touched, our lives are touched. We bear witness to the things primarily that God's done in our life. And there, co- there comes a time In every court case where the jury has to decide right you can't just let trials go on for years and years at some point the jury has to make a decision guilty or not guilty what is true and so they try to figure out beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt what is true and they don't always get it right but they do have to make that decision So there comes a time for us when we have to decide, do I fully believe in Christ? Do I fully embrace the life that he offers? Do I fully embrace his word? Do I fully embrace his community, the church, for all its warts, you know? Do I fully embrace Christ? And it's at that point where we place our security fully in Christ. You say, I'm all in. I fully believe Now, we all go through times of doubt. We all have lingering questions. It's not like we make a choice and then we're completely, like, understanding and have no questions. The questions persist. But the the main question is, are we sure about Jesus? Are we sure that He is the Son of God? Because being sure about Jesus leads us somewhere. Sure faith leads to action. Doesn't lead to passivity. Doubt leads to passivity. Sure faith leads to action. Sure faith leads to a life of trust in Christ. Sure faith produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so doubt does not. James says if you, if you doubt, you're like someone tossed in the waves, back and forth, back and forth. <coughs> So you might be in a place where you're like, hey, I'm starting to trust Jesus, but I'm not quite there yet. And I would just say, great, great, keep processing. Let the jury still be out, you know, let the jury still be out. But don't sit on your hands, like pursue what you have. Pursue what you know, pursue God. Ask him if it's true. Thomas pursued God, even in in his doubt. He's like, well, I got to figure this out. Jesus, show me your hands. And that's what it took. And you know what? Jesus didn't condemn Thomas for that. He just said, hey, it's good that you believe. Even better if you haven't seen me and you believe. So as much as faith is a choice, it's also this process that we're all in. And it's not just a line like this. It is up and down, up and down. You know, when something bad happens to you, that faith might might hit some bumps. That's how our faith is tested, through our suffering but then it comes back to Jesus what do we believe in our hearts about Christ who is Jesus to us and then when we believe we like John are called to bear witness that's who we are we are we are Christ's witnesses to the world in everything we do not just our words but also in our action we are called to tell people what we have seen and heard what we have experienced and the greatest argument you can make for faith is the difference that it's made in your own life. Like this is the fruit of following Christ. Look at my life. Maybe what was I before? What am I now? And don't be afraid when people notice that you're different and they ask you questions. Don't be afraid to give the credit to Jesus. Give him credit where credit's due. I was in seminary of all places. I was talking to another student who, uh, who went out and he, he was like feeding the homeless and doing some stuff like that. And he told me, he's like, yeah, I had this guy ask me why I do it. And I just told him like, well, I'm human and you're human. I'm like, that's not enough. We actually, it's not our humanity that compels us to love someone else. It's Christ's love for us that compels us to love other people. It's the forgiveness of Christ that causes us to forgive others. Our humanity is not enough. It's not enough. We need new humanity in Christ. That's where the goodness is. In Romans 5.5, it tells us that he pours his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's a love that comes from outside of ourselves. So don't be afraid to tell people who, who changed you. What's the real reason? Because we are called to be witnesses not of our own goodness, but of the goodness of Christ, the goodness of God. Christ is the light, and we just reflect him. He's the source of anything good that comes from me, He set the tone for my life. So when it comes to engaging our community, we can't remove the name of Christ out of the equation, because He's where the hope is, it's in that name. Where where the hope is, it's through the name of Christ, the gospel of Christ, that people can be reconciled to God. He's what it's about. So in the second half of this introduction, John pivots, and he goes from talking about what his witness is to why he does it. Why? Why witness? I just realized I smell kind of bad today. Like, I'm feeling feeling, feeling a little unsure now. Um... (laughs) But, okay, so, why witness? I didn't plan that, I promise you. Why witness? What's the point? What difference? What difference does faith in Christ make? He says this. This is the last half. He says, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make our joy complete. So this is the why. And it's all around this word fellowship. The Greek word you may have heard before, koinonia. Have, has anybody heard that word before, koinonia? Koinonia, it's this, it's this sense of deep like connection and fellowship, not only with God, but with each other. And I kind of defined Like, all that what John is inviting us into is this. John bears witness to Christ so that his readers can enter into the divine life. Not the fine life, like Snoop Dogg, right? The divine life. The divine life. This is the life that is eternally connected to God. When we say yes to Jesus, we enter into a sure and stable relationship with God and with each other. And it revolves around this idea of koinonia, fellowship. It, this is a Greek word that means to, be, to partner with and be a partaker of. Like we partner with each other and we partake in relationship with each other. And it implies that we actually enjoy our, each other's company. Koinonia, this enjoyment of being together, that, that actually being together is a source of joy. And so faith in Christ, to John, is less about rule-following, and it's more about deep, life-giving relationship with God and his church. And sometimes, if we're not experiencing either, we might settle for rules. But that's not what it's about. It's not about the rules. The heart of our faith is relationship. It's koinonia. Relationship is what changes us, sustains us, and encourages us. It is, this is what's offered in the divine life in 1 John. I kind of summed it up in three parts. It is eternal life, it is shared life, and it is shared joy. That, that's sort of this picture that we get here in John, that this, the life that Christ offers us, that we enter into, is eternal, it's shared, and it's joyful. And this is what you get. This is what we celebrate when people are baptized. They enter into this life. Not just life on your own, but life that's shared where there's joy. And we, you know, I know we like to talk a lot about community. We can't downplay the importance of eternal life, right? Like, we desperately want eternal life. We desperately don't want this life to be it. And that's what God offers. Christ offers his followers this eternal hope that we'll actually see God one day, that we'll be together with those we love here and those that we've lost. Like, we'll be with him forever. In fact, it's that life that, that, that where all of our hope comes from. It, it allows us to surrender our lives to Christ fully because we're living for that promise. So life becomes less about checking off our bucket lists and more about finding life with Christ, finding life in the fellowship that Christ offers, the koinonia. Life is just better and richer when God is in charge. A life, if we just live for our ambitions, we'll find them empty. But we, when we enter into this shared life with God, we'll find a full cup there. It's a full cup. It's a shared life. We weren't meant to live isolated. We were meant to be part of something, part of the body of Christ, connected, loving each other, serving each other. This, too, Christ, and John gets into this, when we believe in Christ, he tears down the walls, like we sang about earlier. He tears down down cultural walls, racial walls. He tears down walls between men and women, He tears down every wall that society puts up. I just want to share this verse from Galatians. Galatians 3 says, In Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are, you are all one in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean that our cultures go away. It doesn't mean that that, um, we we don't have a race. This doesn't mean that our genders go away. What it means is that our ultimate reality is that we are one in Christ. Our identity is found in the body of Christ. And there's this key component that John talks about, joy. There's joy in this shared life. When we're together and God is in the room, there's joy. There's joy here. There's joy in connecting and loving each other in Christ. There's joy in rejoicing with those who rejoice. There's even joy in mourning with those who mourn. You don't have to grieve alone. You actually bring that into community. And all this is made possible because of Christ. He has brought us together. And together we have shared joy. And John closes this letter kind of selfishly. He says, make my joy complete. Come on, John. selfish. He's like, make my joy complete. John has a selfish motive in witnessing. He wants to get joy out of seeing people's lives changed. Right? He doesn't do it from guilt. He does it from joy. I don't know if you've ever been, if you've been in the church, maybe you've had these experiences where um, you felt really guilty, and so you felt like you had to tell someone about Jesus, and it felt just kind of, icky. Anybody have an experience like that? Like, ah, I don't know. Oh, uh, somebody's telling me to do this. Oh, maybe I'll do it. That's not John's motivation. John speaks out of joy. He speaks out of love. He wants to experience the joy of adding more people into the family of God. He wants to he wants the joy of being part of this unified church that loves Jesus and loves each other. He wants the joy of fellowship. That's, that's his thing. That's what John gets out of it selfish john you know i mean so we don't witness out of fear we don't witness out of guilt Uh, we witness because we want to see joy in other people's lives we want to see them connected to the joy that's found in the shared life in christ and we witness because we know that's this is better it's better it's better to be connected to god it's better to be connected to each other and experiencing shared life and shares joy, shared joy helps us be sure of our faith, right? Even seeing the presence of God unify a room. Even seeing the presence of God move in a family, that helps confirm our faith. So I want to close on this thought. When we fully believe in Christ, we find assurance and joy. When we fully believe in Christ, we end up in a place where we are assured of what we believe, and we experience joy. And that's my prayer for every one of you as we hop into this series, that you would be more sure about your faith and that you would experience deeper joy and connection to God. And in the, if you want to reduce John's invitation as simply as it gets, that's what it's an invitation into. Assurance with your relationship with God and joy in community. <coughs> in a community that God is continuing to work through. I've said several times that I didn't really fully believe until um, I I grew up in the church, but I didn't really fully believe until I I, I left the house and went to college. And the reason why I was fully convinced and fully believed was finding this shared life, finding a community of people who just love me because Christ loved me, who just like, hey, I'm going to show up, we're going to do Bible study every morning outside in the hallway. Okay. You know, like people who were just invested and cared and loved and, and did that. And, and that had such a profound impact on me. I said, you know, I was in college. There's a lot of things you can do in college, right? I'm like, I want that. I want that. And that brought me into relationship with God. And there were times where the joy just poured out. Where I'd be driving and the joy would just pour out. It would just well up. I'd be so thankful for what God's done. What he'd saved me from, but also what I was experiencing in in community. It was overflowing to the point where I had a huge white afro. A few laughs there. Um, But but my prayer is that we would experience joy to the point of overflowing. Because we're sure about what we believe. Because we're stepping into assurance, not of a God who's made himself distant and hard to please. Sometimes we project our own, like, parental relationships onto God, right? Like, if you, were, if you had parents that were difficult and hard to please, I'd be like, maybe that's what God is. God's not like that. God loves us. He's, he's our shepherd. He takes care of us. And so, friends, I just want to say that there's nothing better than entering into this divine life, this shared life with God. Not just in eternity, but now. There is nothing better. There is no better hope. There is no greater community. There is no better healing. There's no better healing agent than the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ tears down walls between people that have been set up. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to transition... Speaking of the blood of Christ, we're going to transition to a time of communion. We've set the table. We've cut the bread. We have the juice. Also, if you're gluten-free, we have these combo packs available in the bin. But I just want to challenge you on two fronts this morning, because communion is a time where we, are, we come before Christ and we remember him. And it's a time to be thankful. Maybe you're in a place where you just need to let that joy come up. Be thankful. God, thank you for saving me, doing this work in my life, like the blessings of your life. Thank you for include. thank him for including you in the body of Christ in his ongoing work. Or maybe that challenge is, hey, I am unsure. And so Christ, I just, I come to you this morning and show me more of yourself. Lead me to a place of assurance. And maybe you need to thank him for what he's done. The bread represents his body the juice represents his blood and it's all given for you what I love about this and how, how it ties back to koinonia is that when we come to the table we only receive we only receive we receive his body broken for us we receive his blood poured out for us there's nothing we can bring to the table this is a complete meal there's nothing we add there's nothing we do. We just come with hearts thankful and willing to receive. So that's my prayer. Um, I'm going to pray. Worship is going to come up. And then uh, we're going to take communion together. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you, God, that you don't want to leave us unclear. You don't want to leave us unsure. You don't want to leave us in a place where we don't know who we are or what we're doing. But you want to come in and you want to give us a surety. You want to give us assurance in Christ, signed, sealed and delivered. And so, Lord, I pray that as we enter into this time of communion, that you would help us to reflect on you, to think about you, to be thankful, and to receive. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as as the worship team leads, um, if you're a follower of Christ, I would invite you to come forward and grab the, the bread and the juice, take it back to your seat, and then we'll receive it together here in a minute.